Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to another edition of Cavs the Blog Podcast. Cavs the Podcast. <laughs> I'm uh, Nate Smith, and I'm here with Tom Pestak. And it's been a while since we potted together, Tom. I know it feels like it was all. I don't. I mean, do we do about once this summer? That was it. Yeah, once or twice. Yeah. Uh, I and all we, we did all... was bask in the glory of the championship. Which honestly, we could just do that again. I'm, I mean, I'm still basking. I'll be basking all year. Yeah, I, I will too. I will I, too. I will be basking. You know, if the Cavs are. 10 and 10 in, you know, late November, I'll be basking. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I, I will be too. Uh, it was interesting. I listened to, uh, uh, Richard Jefferson was, uh, sat with, uh, Fred and AC for a quarter on, uh, Saturday night's or uh, Friday night's preseason game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I guess it was Saturday. No, Friday nights. Anyway, no, um, he talked Saturday. about one of the Friday, reasons right? that he came back this year was that he wanted to do all the things that a team that got to win a championship the year before gets to do. You know, like go to the White House, um, oh, yeah. get their rings, go into every NBA arena as the reigning champions. Uh, yeah. He, he kind of wanted to take the victory lap. So uh, good for him. Uh, he certainly earned it. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that. I actually think the Cavs... <coughs> Now that they have JR back, they're really loaded at wing right now. I mean, between him and Shumpert and Dunleavy and McCray has some potential there. And of course, LeBron. And LeBron, yeah. I was and of say. course, you know, JR Smith. I mean, they, they, they are really, really loaded at wing and they can play small. Yeah. And it's good because that's a position you think two years ago. It was LeBron, and then you were going to Sean Marion, basically. I mean, I guess – I don't really consider Shumpert a, a wing. I mean, I guess he is, but, um, you know, now with Richard Jefferson and Mike Dunleavy there, 
I think the Cavs have a nice triage of, of small forwards they can play. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can play those guys at other positions too, right? LeBron can play power forward. Dunleavy can be a shooting guard, comes off screens well. So they definitely have some flexibility um, in the, uh, you know, the two, three, four slots. It's sure. the uh, it's the one and five slots where I feel like you know they they are a little bit more limited. But lest we forget, Channing, we got Channing Fry for a full season, and yeah. I'm really excited about what he could bring because he looked so uh, just perfect alongside the Cavs last season. You know, you think about like how LeBron's always like to drive and kick and find the open shooter, be it Daniel Marshall or Damon Jones or whoever. And with that quick release, I mean, Channing Fry is just going to get fed all year, right? Yeah, he just looks like, and in the preseason so far, he looks like he is shooting the ball effortlessly. Like, it, his release looks really good. It, it's feathery. I mean, the ball's going in more often than not. And like, like you said, a full season with the team, his defense has been, you know, passable. I still think he's going to get uh, bullied a little bit uh, at times, but... He is everything you could want from a bench big, a guy that can change the complexion of a game when he comes in for Tristan Thompson because he can totally stretch a defense and pull a strong defender away from the rim. And then, you know, it just opens up the floor. Plus, he's a good passer. You can put it on the ball floor a little bit. You can yeah, post can. him up. You can play pick and roll with him. I mean, he's a very yeah. versatile offensive forward in he can guard fours and fives. He's not a shutdown defender, but it, at least in a team environment, he can be passable. So, yeah, I think they have a ton of depth, but maybe not a lot of top-end size. Yeah. But, we're, but you we're know what, though? I mean, having, top- a, Sorry, having, a, having a lockdown big defender, I mean, what do you even need it for anymore, right? I mean, I guess the last time you really needed it was against Dwight Howard, right? No, anymore, that kind of guy is not, you know, I got an argument with somebody the other day over Jonas Valanciunas versus Bismack Biombo. You know, if you have a defensive big anymore, it's a guy you want to block shots, rebound, run the floor. I mean, a defensive big anymore is more of a help defender on drives than he is, like, you know, shut down the other team's big center. Right. You know, and I just think the days of the big post-up big are they're going the way of the dinosaur i mean you've got paul gasol just, there's a yeah, well, there's five guys in the league you know yeah there's there's less big men with the post moves and then also just offenses have evolved they're different now part yeah. of it's maybe the hand check rules but the ball goes through your point guards and your your dominant wing players it doesn't it doesn't start down low anymore it doesn't it's not an inside out you know we're going to kick it down to our center He's either going to make a move or get double teamed and kick it back out. That just that's just not the way offenses play anymore. So um, I mean, I'm not you, too you, see you know more concerned play out of the about high it. Uh, from oh yeah, like you know Gasol, uh, Mark Gasol plays out of the high post a lot, and you see uh, you know the Warriors when they had Bogut played out of the high post a lot, and you know it's and and you you don't see you see teams posting up wings. I feel like more now than you see them posting up bigs. And it's almost anymore. I mean, when you get those lumbering big men that are putting the ball back to the basket, one, two, three dribbles, turn, spin, you know, in a lot of cases, 
if you're a defense, you're almost welcoming that anymore versus a wide open corner three. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, there are some guys that can still punish you a little bit on the block. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly the Cavs are always going to have to figure out a way to deal with Andre Drummond by committee. But, you know, he yeah. didn't he didn't really hurt him that much, in my opinion, in the uh, in the first round last season. No. And, so, and in the East, I mean, those guys, <coughs> you got Vucevic a little bit down in Orlando. White you, side. Can, you got Horford, who clearly the Cavs aren't worried about. You got <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dwight Howard. Yeah. You know, Horse, none, of, none yeah, of these guys are, are really scaring you in the East. And in the West, I mean, I guess San Antonio could get to the finals and give them a run for their money in the post, but then that's a long road for the Spurs. Yeah. yeah. So. so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, clearly the Cavs' issues are going to be back a point guard in the event that, um, you know, Kyrie Irving suffers some sort of injury at some point, which is not... That wouldn't be odd, right? He's kind of an injury-prone player. Well, right, and the other part of that is you want a good backup point guard so you can limit his minutes, you know, yeah. so he doesn't have to pay, play. You'd rather have him around less than 35 minutes a night, probably 33, 34, rather than, you know, 38. Uh, yeah, I mean, the know, Cavs got to look at that this. Wear and tear. Cavs have to look at this season, right, as they just need to be in total chill mode. I mean, we talked about last year how health was such a priority but now more than ever it's like there's nothing left to learn about anyone on the Cavs as far as well we need to see what player x can do with lebron it's like no we 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 got more or less the same team back you know delhi was the big loss um mozgov you know could have been a big loss but he was so ineffective last year that he was really out of the rotation by you know by march so there's nothing to learn it's just they need to go out. They need to stay healthy and try to have some fun, you know, win 50 yeah. plus games. I mean, and I want to then... see him stay out of, I don't want to see him develop bad habits. Oh, they're um, going to. They're going to. They're going to. <laughs> you um, just get used to it. I know. Uh, and like you said, I mean, that's why I want depth. I want guys to kind of play at a high level, but not have to play a ton of minutes. You know, you look, I talked a lot last season about platooning guys, and I think you could even see it more, especially the wing spots this year, uh, especially with the depth they have. So, you know, give some, give LeBron some back end of a back to back nights off, you know. Yeah. Uh, don't bring a guy in on a back to back, have him play zero minutes one night and 25 the next, especially with these older guys. So. I yeah, I can't believe that they're having back-to-backs in the preseason. <sighs> yeah, well, and the goofy thing about that is the team is the one that schedules the preseason. So it's not really? as if the NBA... The league's schedule. not imposing it on people? No, no, the team the team schedules it. And I know part of it is they want the preseason games to make some money, you know, because they don't... You know, that's just gravy. Give me a break. Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, it's a business, Tom. <laughs> I know, but I mean that's why there's 82 games oh, and yeah, a three-month-long playoffs. <laughs> yeah, like, no, and and last year was a war, and I'm excited for the upcoming season, and I feel like I'm just getting there. You know, I feel like it's. I'm not there yet, Nate. I'm. I am full. I have full-on caught Indian fever. Oh, my no, voice no, no, is so still a little a little hoarse from Friday night. Yeah, it, uh, Tom got to go up to the Terrace Club Friday night. Yeah, yeah. 
was outstanding. That had was lots sweet. of hot dogs, hamburgers, and mac and cheese, and had a Dortmunder gold, and got to watch a sublime bullpen relief. And Corey Kluber, man, just kept getting in jams and kept getting out of jams. And it yeah, was. I mean, he was hearing. Well, the, the great thing about Kluber was, I mean, he looked really shaky for like two or three innings. And then. Yeah. Like. He settled down. Well, by the fifth and sixth inning, he was just unhittable. Like, yeah, he, he was. was just placing his pitches perfectly, and then, and then his pitch count got so high they had to take him out. But yeah, they did. But yeah, I mean, it, it, they've been a lot of fun to watch. I, I've enjoyed them, and and we talked a little bit about. I mean, it totally feels like the Cavs win has energized this team. That when the Cavs are there, it just seems to give them and the uh, arena so much energy. Uh, I feel like yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was thinking about it too. How I can't I can't think of any other team that is sort of the the city. It, it's really more about the city than the team, right? I mean, when mm-hmm. the Cubs right now, it's not like you're thinking about Chicago, like which encompasses the Blackhawks and and the White Sox, of course, and the Bears. It's just the Cubs. It's just the Cubs. The Cubs have their whole streak of not winning in Wrigley Field, and it's just the Cubs. But right now, the whole idea of Cleveland has overtaken um, the Indians. It's not just the Indians and their history. It's the Cavs are there. It's Cleveland. It's Believe Land. It's like it's all – I mean, we'll just forget about the Browns for a bit here. But it's all, you know, kind of coalescing into one. Um and I, I just I don't remember ever really seeing that in anything else. I mean, no, have you? And, and the kind of the really fun counterpoint was Draymond Green throwing out the first pitch at the Giants game before they blew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they were up. Uh, yeah, innings. they were up five to two or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was watching that uh, in my garage. Well, I've, I'm, I've started woodworking, Nate. I've actually made <laughs> uh, cabinets and a bunch of cabinet doors. And so I was uh, working on some of my cabinet doors and I was watching that game. And wow, what a difference between Tito, who in game three against the Sox, it was going to, Cody Allen was going to win or lose that game one way or the other. And, uh, is it Bruce Bochy on the, is he the Giants manager? He used, he used (laughs) six, he used six relievers in one half of an inning. Basically, he'd try the guy out no matter what, and then walk or hit or whatever. He would just, Bring in another guy. There were like five or six relievers used in one half inning, and uh, yeah, the the Cubs just kind of overwhelmed them. So, but yeah, I I'd like to also think that Draymond Green kind of cursed them. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> or he ended their magical run of of the even years. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the fact that they had won something like ten or eleven straight um, must win games. games. Yeah, elimination games. Yeah, yeah. So everything Draymond touches, <laughs> you you could go anywhere with that start. But <laughs> well, he did not curse the Olympic team, fortunately. So yeah, that's I can't true. say everything. So so yeah, it's uh yeah, it's every once in a while. I used to think about it every day. Now I think about it once a week or so. Just how different. It is to be a Cavs fan, a, a, and Cleveland a Cleveland fan. sports fan. Yeah, 
Yeah, after I mean, the that win. I mean, thing has it, become like the opposite of what it was. Yeah, it, you know, I just I can't even imagine you know, being being a Cleveland fan is tough. Being a Cavs fan in the LeBron era has has it's been joyful, but it's been filled with so much anxiety. Oh yeah, there's so much anxiety. I remember 2004, right? This is LeBron's second year in the league. And I logged on to ESPN, and there's the front page, and it's got LeBron photoshopped in a Lakers jersey, and it <laughs> says L.A. Bron question mark. That was in 2004. They were already, you know, wondering what glamorous city was LeBron gonna choose over Cleveland, and um, you know, just every year that the Cavs fell short and didn't get it done. The anxiety just kind of compounded. And I honestly can't even imagine if the Cavs had lost to the Warriors, what we'd be talking about all summer. I mean, we'd be just wringing our hands like, okay, do they need to trade Kevin Love? Do they need to trade Kyrie Irving? What are they going to do? How are they going to get younger? You know, they don't have that many draft picks. You know, what's the secret? How are we going to get through LeBron's twilight years? And, and every contract LeBron would sign would be, I mean, no one's, no one, no one worried at all this summer. At all about well, if he signs a one and one, fine. If he signs a three year deal, oh okay, you know, it, it's just no one's even talking about it. Well, and it here's just, the funny thing though. The other thing is, where else is he going to go? You know, if he doesn't have a better opportunity to win anywhere else, which is the very nice thing that's going on with the Cavs right now. I mean, Miami got too old. He's not going to go to the Spurs. I mean, I guess that would be the other possibility, but clearly he's not going to pull a Durant and join the Warriors. The Lakers stink. I mean, where else is there that, that he would know. go? You know, I mean, he could commit career suicide and go to the Knicks with Melo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the Knicks, but yeah, but that's going to be an interesting team. It, it's yeah. just like an inflection point in the history of being a, a Clevelander, oh, and yeah. everything is different. Everything is different. All the anxiety is washed away, and it's just. Oh, it's just, it's manifesting itself in so many ways. I mean, first and foremost is just the narratives and how we perceive the upcoming season and, um, and how everyone in the world perceives LeBron. Uh, but it, I mean, it goes beyond that. It, it just, and like you said, it's infecting the Indians. Now you see the Cavs all going crazy at the Indians games. And the it's crowd just like, goes nuts for them too. I mean, it's just, I, they bring an extra energy to the crowd. Yeah, and and this and the other thing about it is, it's perfect for this Indians team because, given the ravage of injuries they've had, oh yeah, I mean they really have no business doing what they're doing right now. You know, I mean they are doing this with like duct tape and uh, sublime pitching. Oh because well, yeah, I mean and, Brantley, and Salazar management. And oh yeah, but I mean you you look at you lose Jan Gomes, Brantley, Salazar, Carrasco. I mean, that is a that is a lot of your big time players. And so there is this whole sort of um you know believe land vibe like hey, no one no one believes in us. I mean, our local writers didn't believe in us. If you if you looked at any of the major sports sites that predicted the first round, I think ESPN had like one out of 15 people pick the Indians. Yahoo well, had yeah, none. Yeah, ESPN is so in the bank for uh for Boston, Boston always. Yeah. I mean, they're they're yeah. twenty miles away or whatever. I mean, come on. 
but it's just it's cool it's like this isn't this isn't uh you know it's it's kind of a young team it's an underdog team and i feel like they are soaking up the energy of the city right now oh absolutely and And it's just awesome how they hope they keep it going well and i'm i'm really hoping for a cubs tribe world series i mean i think there's just so many great storylines there and you know the indians haven't been there for 50 plus years and the uh the Cubs, we know how long that's been going on. I mean, I just think it's going to be a great, a great World Series. And no matter, I mean, for me, no matter who wins, obviously I'll be rooting for the Tribe. But I, I think it's going to be a great story. Um, it, it, yeah, it's well, yeah, it, if it's, it's Tribe, fantastic. If it's Tribe Cubs. You better start. You better start worrying about Donald Trump because that's like the sign of the apocalypse right there. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Donald Trump, <laughs> anything uh, can happen. Yeah, if, if either the if either the Indians or the Cubs are going to win the World Series this year, that could be the sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> well, we've got uh, some interesting <coughs> political maneuvers with the Cavs. I mean, we've got LeBron on the record endorsing uh, Hillary Clinton, and yeah. yeah, and then kind of the same weekend that uh, Dan Gilbert very quietly had a. I think it was a $50,000 a plate uh, fundraiser for Trump. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely still... I didn't hear about that. Yeah, yeah, that happened. And uh, still a little friction huh. between LeBron and um, Dan Gilbert. Of course, then Dan Gilbert also met with Hillary Clinton after that, I believe. So uh, playing both sides of the fence a little bit. and uh, As any good billionaire should do. <laughs> exactly. Um but, uh, <coughs> yeah, sorry, LeBron with a little bit of controversy this week over the um, uh, Le- uh, Donald Trump's sexual assault comments and the, the lo- quote-unquote locker room talk, and LeBron kind of said, well, that, that, that's not locker room talk, you know. Yeah. That's not what we talk about in the locker room, and uh, kind of, what, what did you think of all that, Tom? Well, I thought LeBron, I mean, I, I thought he said the right thing. Um, I think it's a little bit disingenuous that, um, so many people are now coming out and acting like locker room talk is a place where men are real respectful to women. I mean, I've been in locker rooms. Um, I mean, it's not like the focus of locker room talk is to be, you know, crude, but, I don't know. I, 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 I felt like I get why people are saying what they're saying. And certainly, you know, what Trump said actually went beyond, yeah. you know, typical guy talk. But, um, I, I think a little, yeah, I, I don't is. know. I, I kind of roll my eyes a lot when, yeah. I, when, you know, when LeBron, I think he's, I don't remember exactly what he said, but at one point it was like, you know, we, we, we have wives and daughters and, you know, no one ever disrespects, I don't know. It sounded like he said something like no one ever disrespects women in the locker room. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, you sure about that? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that, that's I, I, I have my doubts about that, that all these locker rooms are these pure places. I mean, well, let's, I mean, let's talk a women little bit did about Sean Kemp. All, yeah, or all the storylines we've heard in the last three years. I mean, you've got the D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young story from last oh, year. Yeah. And then you've got, of course, Javaris Crittenden um, with the oh, yeah. gun in the locker room thing and and messing with people's shoes and you know you've had the uh the famous kg and um 
Carmelo Anthony dust up over the uh, Honey Nut Cheerios comment. What? I you don't know, remember these... that. No. What, is, what was that about? Well, they got into it on the court because, um, how do I put this for a PG rated podcast? <laughs> um, Kevin Garnett said that a part of that, uh, an odor on, uh, Carmelo Anthony's uh, wife or fiance of uh, private area tasted like uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. What? <laughs> and so, yeah. And so when uh, Mello came to Boston, they were throwing Honey Nut Cheerios at him. <laughs> <laughs> you never heard? Oh, you got to Google uh, Carmelo Anthony Honey Nut Cheerios. No. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, that, that was a fun. So, it. <laughs> These aren't these aren't choir boys. And, yeah, and no, they're really, not. Uh, all it takes is one day of listening to the Derrick Rose. Uh, oh man, civil trial. But you know what? You I don't. I don't want to conflate because we started out talking no, no, about what, what LeBron and, said. You know, for all for all we know, LeBron is a devout husband and father because. Honestly, that's all we've seen. And so that's the only evidence I have. And that is that he's a devout husband and father. No, so I'm not going to speculate that he's not because. No, um, I think the best of the NBA is probably very far from the worst of the NBA. You know, you've got these yeah. team family environments and then you've got these environments with a lot of young kids and a lot of money and yeah. Oh, a yeah. lot of commitment. Totally. So, you know, it's, totally. it's going to be. It, you're going to have a spectrum, so. But I yeah, like anything you, else. Yeah, I was a little Any incredulous. You were a little what? Incredulous. You know, it's like okay, yeah, yeah give me a break. I mean, <laughs> yeah. certainly, I I felt the comments were beyond the pale, and that yeah. But but let's not pretend that no one ever objectified women in a locker room, or never right. objectified women. You know, I went to Catholic school, and I was in locker rooms, and there was plenty of. Conversations I would not have wanted my mother or my now, you know, any woman in my life to ever be a here. You know, it's just. Yeah. But alas. Alas. So. <coughs> sorry. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess it's going to be interesting, you know, now, especially that LeBron has won the title in Cleveland. I feel like. He is now probably the most important man in sports. And so he is going to be asked, and I'm a little, I find this a little nauseating to be honest. He is going to be asked to comment on just about everything in American, if not world culture and events. Yeah, you know? I agree with that. I mean, and I, I appreciate, honestly, you know, and, and this goes back to, uh, something that happened with LeBron earlier this year where he said, you know, everyone wants me to talk about this. I don't remember if it was the Tamir Rice grand jury trial or what it was, but he just said, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about it and I'm not going to just comment on anything. And I appreciated that because it's like, you know, LeBron's got a job to do. His first job is to be a husband and a father. His second job is to be the small forward on the championship Cleveland Cavaliers. His third job is to be a spokesperson for all these different companies you know, he's a really busy guy that has a million responsibilities. And now, you know, every single reporter and news outlet wants LeBron's take on X, Y, and Z. And you got a lot, and you had a lot of reporters that were sort of, 
applying a lot of guilt to LeBron for not taking this stance or enough of a stance or being too much like Jordan or not being socially conscious enough. And I'm sitting here thinking, and then, and then when he is socially conscious, whatever the hell that means, then they applaud him for it. And it's like, I appreciated that he went out of his way to be like, you know what? I'm not going to just go out and just, you know, start commenting on stuff that I don't know enough about. And it's like, I feel like he's He's at a place now though. Right, he's at a place now, though, where there are no more like LeBron detractors. Right? I mean, he's not like a polarizing figure anymore. Only in he San is Francisco. Based, if even that, I mean, at this point, LeBron is like the most popular, maybe one of the most well liked, the most successful. I mean, he's everything, especially after this this title, which I think just solidified his legacy forever. And so. I just think we're we're gonna have for as long as he's in the NBA and in the spotlight, it's gonna be LeBron. What do you think about this, LeBron? What do you think about this, LeBron? The Federal Reserve just you know, did quantitative <laughs> what do you think of Janet Yellen's decision what? not to raise, yeah. raise interest. Yeah, rates? what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, I guess there's gonna be worse people to ask. Well, all and these a, he's a victim of his own success there because he has been very well spoken at times and and given yeah. very good comments and. Um, you know, he's not an idiot and he's not yeah. a bad interview. So he, he, he's a victim of being a good interview and yeah, you know, Oh yeah. I, the world is his oyster right now. The world honestly. Is his oyster. Another person who the world is his oyster just rejoined the Cavs making my, uh, J.R. Smith oh, jersey, uh, wearable. A plus segue, Nate. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, J.R. Smith signed this weekend for a four-year, I believe, uh, 57 million. 57 million. So much money. So I, I it's thought a it was, I thought it was too much, Sorry, but I'm, I'm glad he's back. But I was a little, I had a little bit of sticker shock when I saw that. Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of that is, I mean, they were talking about 33 million, 44 million for like three years. Yeah, that's um, way more, in my opinion. Now, I will say the deal is backloaded, which is helpful for the Cavs at least this year. I think it as is, far as as far as like luxury tax purposes. Right. Yeah, it's 12.8 yeah. million is the number this year, and okay. then it it, escalates. And it goes up. But yeah, so Jr. has made uh, less money than that this contract in his whole career. So this is really his big deal. He's never really signed a huge contract. He's been kind of like a mid-level type money guy. I think he's made like, you know, 40 some odd million, 45 million or something in his career. And so now he signs a $57 million deal. Yeah. But it is a little bit funny listening to guys like LeBron and, um, and Delhi even tweeted and everyone talking about like, they're so happy for him and just so happy for his family. And I'm like, Oh, I know, man. That like forty-five million was just man. He was just living on the edge, and now <laughs> now he signs the now he signs the fifty-seven million dollar contract, and he's it's all good now in Jr. Land. Hey, but Tom, you know he only sees about forty percent of that money. You got taxes, you got agents, you got fees to the union. Come on. Yeah, and plus, I mean, with Hillary's tax plan, according to the commercials, <laughs> <laughs> the rich are going to pay their fair share. So Jr. is going to uh, he's going to be coughing up a lot of that to Uncle Sam. Yeah. <coughs> so um, 
So yeah, did you think it, you thought it was a little high? I well, I just you know he's thirty one. Um, every year his usage has gone down, which on the Cavs that's not a bad thing. I mean, I don't know how much you want anyone other than LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love to be high usage players. He's been an effective. Um, I don't know if I want to say three and D guy, but he's been a very effective three point shooter, and he can D up a little bit here and there. Uh, last year he was he was outstanding, um, and they needed him to win that to win that title. They needed him throughout the regular season. They needed him in Game Seven, so I wanted him back, uh, and I'm glad they're making the investment. I just don't know what 33, 34 year old Jared Smith's going to look like. You know, as he continues to lose athleticism, is it going to be fine? Is he going to be like Ray Allen, where he's just going to keep owning his stroke and he's going to be um, even more of a lockdown three-point shooter? You know, one of the things we saw, one of the developments we saw last year with JR that I haven't really dug into the numbers, but it goes against his narrative at least, is he was pretty much automatic on wide-open threes, which, of course, the narrative with JR is like he's, a be- he's better the more covered he is. Uh, that ceased to be true last year. Uh, anytime he found himself, you know, some hockey assist he- from LeBron, you know, heading over to him and he was wide open, that net barely moved. I mean, he had better trajectory. I talked to Ben Worth about this a couple times. He had better um, trajectory on the three-pointer. He had just a softer, lower body. Everything about it, um, he- it was very pure. It was very different from Jared of the past who was – a much more dynamic shooter, you know, really got his legs into it, much more of a off the dribble type guy. Um, you know, which you see a lot of these young players, you know, that they can really catch fire from three, but they just they aren't as consistent. And JR really was a consistently good three point shooter last year. So um, you know, maybe the age thing won't affect him that much because if you look at his uh if you look at things like PER and usage and assist ratio and all those things. I mean, they they were had career lows last year, and yet I contest that last year was one of his best seasons because well, he, he played in the role that the Cavs needed him to play, and he played it very well. So from that angle, you know, okay, so Jr. for the next couple of years, if you if you if you believe that those parts of his game will continue to stay strong or maybe even improve slightly, then it's not a bad contract, but. Um, you know, guys, guards, especially in their mid 40s or mid 30s, and they can hit that wall out of nowhere and they're suddenly very limited. Yeah. I mean, the counterpoint to that is a guy that's on the Kevin roster, uh, who is Richard Jefferson. I mean, he still <laughs> yeah. has very good athleticism for his age. Yep. Um, part of that is never having had a major injury, which J.R. Smith really hasn't. Um, the other part of the argument is you kind of look at some of the other contracts that were thrown around this year. Oh, I, I mean, know. Can you really say that, I mean, look at Ryan Anderson signed a four-year $80 million deal. Oh, my goodness. Who Houston. gave him that? Houston. Oh, yeah. Houston. I mean, They're going to give up 200 points a game. I mean, but I mean, here's the thing: no one on that team have played Ryan defense Anderson last for... year, and they and they <laughs> and they added Ryan Anderson, some of the worst defensive bigs in the league. I know. Oh my goodness! I, I mean, would you rather have Ryan Anderson at that level, or would you rather no. have J.R. Smith for fifty-four million for four years? I'd much rather have Channing Frye than Ryan Anderson. <laughs> well, 
Um, yeah, no, I no, I agree with you, but I don't, or, I don't, or, okay, I, don't I generally another... don't like that line of argument. I mean, yeah, because no, I I understand you don't like the line of argument, but that is what the line of argument that Rich Paul is using when he's negotiating with the Cavs. That's, that's a great point. You're right <laughs> you about know. that. Uh, I, okay, I, I mean, like my dad, right? I was, I, was, I was talking to my dad about it. He's like, well, look what Mozgov signed. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, you could say that about anything ever. For any contract in any thing till the end of time could be counter-argued with, but what about that contract Timothy Moskov signed in 2016? Well, here's we- a nuts contract. Nick Batum, four years, $92 million. Doesn't he get a nuts contract like every year? I feel no, like every I year. He did not get a nuts contract. The le- and then he has a fifth-year player option for $27 million. Isn't- that's just insane. So, it's not a I team option; it's a player option. Yeah. So, in other words, so add no another. Way he's turning you know, that down because there's no yeah. way Nick Batoon in four years is going to be worth thirty. Twenty twenty slash twenty one is going to be worth twenty seven million dollars. Yeah. Man, or just look at stupid money. Luol Dang is a great comparison. I mean, Luol Dang, Dang signed like a four year, seventy two million dollar deal. I mean, he had a little. He rebounded a little bit last. I remember this, but Chicago let him go because they were convinced that what he didn't have any cartilage left in his knees or something, or yeah. he was just. And then he played on the Cavs, and he was useless well, that, for now us. Now he's a stretch four, which I oh, assume please. he will be. He has that line drive three point shot that always front rims. Yeah, he's like the worst three point shooting guard that had a decent mid-range shot since, like, Flip Murray. Yeah, but, I mean, look at Timofey Mozgov got a four-year, $64 million contract. I, I mean, it's hard to argue that that JR didn't deserve his money when you're seeing these other guys sign contracts that are worse play, had worse seasons I'm not, than he did. Yeah, but, again, I'm looking at it from the context of do the Cavs want to have any flexibility, like, four years from now? I mean, I guess they just, they're not going to. They, they, they have who they have. The flexibility is going to be if they want to trade Kevin Love, which, you know, everyone on the, our, uh, our, uh, our friendly other Cavalier blogs that we like to spar with from time to time, everyone, you know, flipped out when the ESPN guys, I think it was Jeremiah Engelman and someone else talked about how, well, maybe the Cavs will try to deal Kevin Love. And, of course, that was perceived in certain Cavalier circles as panic trading Kevin Love for no reason. And it's just like, no, the reality is the Cavs don't really have a whole lot of assets. Kevin right. Love is a huge asset. Other than that, I mean, vet minimums and whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a capologist like you, but <laughs> I'm just on. I'm just reading contracts off a spreadsheet, Tom. That's more than I. I can't. I can't do that. I, I can read a lot of things off spreadsheets, but <laughs> contracts are just so contracts are just so weird because of you know. There's just so many weird things associated with them. You know, there's options and whether they're restricted and ETOs and there's just all these like little fine print everywhere. It just gets annoying. I feel like every time I've made some statement on Twitter and a blog about a contract within 0.5 seconds, someone <laughs> chimes in to be like, yeah, but not exactly. And it's like, all right, you know what? I'm done. I don't care anymore. I'm done talking contracts. Okay. Here, here's the insane deal that you have to just say, okay, J.R. Smith deserves his money. Ian Mahinmi, 
four yeah. years, $64 million. Mahini is like <laughs> above average defensive four with long arms that does literally nothing offensively, right? That's Ian yeah. Mahini or, or am yeah, I thinking of exactly. something else? No, you're, you're, that's who you're thinking of. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just like, what is going on here? Or Joakim Noah, four years, $72 million. Well, for that matter, look at what Delhi got. I mean, a yeah. guy that most Cavs fans think is trash and shouldn't even be in the league just got a real nice deal. And with Michael Carter Williams being shipped to Chicago, which that's going to be the most hilarious team of all time, the Bulls. That team is going to make no sense whatsoever. I mean, how can you have Rondo and Michael Carter Williams on the same and Wade. Yeah, yeah, basically every guard they have shoot. can't shoot threes. Yeah. They're going to be the most like log jam team. Um, it could now, be kind of fun. Say they they may be playing inside out a lot because they got a lot of bigs that can shoot between. Oh yeah, they're going to be like Navy in football. They're going to be like <laughs> such an outlier that's going to mess with some teams because they don't know how to prepare yeah. for like that and, skill set. And I did like that Zipser the other night. He played a real nice game, and they you know they got Hammurabi. So, um, what's his name? The Spaniard. His nickname is Hammurabi, like the code of Hammurabi. Yeah, I call him Hammurabi. Let me let me look at uh, the Bulls roster. Because his name is similar to that, or no, he looks like Hammurabi, like the mummy dude or whatever. No, the the code of Hammurabi, the the law. I, I don't remember what Mister Hammurabi looked like. He's got that crazy beard, Nikolai Mirotic, or Nikola Mirotic. Oh. Looks like Hammurabi. I call him Hammurabi. And they got the what? Geico Caveman. That's just going to be such a fun team to make fun Here of. Mirotic looks like an ancient Mesopotamian ruler that wrote law. I... Yeah, he does. He's got the Hammurabi beard. I, okay. I, may be, I may be off on a tangent here. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Well, I know what you said isn't politically incorrect because there's no one... There's no survivors from those ancient Mesopotamian <laughs> civilizations that are going to protest you saying that, so... You're all clean, Nate. <laughs> you found you found one ethnic group, a deceased one, that you can cast shade at by comparing a great world leader that, you know, evolved our humanity and comparing him to an extremely overrated stretch big that's never going to amount to much. Well, there you go. <laughs> and that's- but I'm just, you know what? I have a problem. I have, what's, what is the bias called when, maybe it's just bias. When you judge things based on when you experience them, like how I think Dennis Schroeder is the worst player in the NBA. Oh, yeah. and he's selection not. bias. Selection bias, yeah. So I have selection bias because I've never thought Miritich really did much against the no, Cavs. And- we were always kind of scared of him. The guy that I'm terrified of is Tony Snell. And now <laughs> because- he's on the box. Because he had that one game where he, he was had, like, like nine every of game, ten every game he kills the Cavs, and then you I look know. at his his season stats is like this guy's they were terrible. terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's I know. like Al Horford. I'm not remotely terrified oh, of Al yeah. Horford, even though everybody says he's great. I've never seen him play a good game against the Cavs. And, and Millsap's the really interesting one because I've I've always been a big fan of Millsap, and I've seen him dominate over the course of his career. And so it's really weird because on one hand, I know. He is a stud and a really underrated player. On the other hand, Tristan Thompson has like sunned him so much. It's weird because it's kind of like I sort of now have two Paul Millsaps. I have 
like Paul Millsap that doesn't play the Cavs, who's awesome, and Paul Millsap that goes up against Tristan <laughs> Thompson and is like pretty much useless. And Al Horford, because I don't really ever care much for Al Horford, I feel like he's terrible, and the Celtics are silly for thinking he's a difference maker, and they should have just kept Jarrett Solinger because Horford doesn't rebound anymore. He's He's stepping outside now and jacking up threes with that awkward flat-footed shot. I mean, I don't – yeah. So I'm all over the map, Nate. What, what were we supposed to talk about today? <laughs> so, uh, you know, conclusion, I kind of feel like despite the sticker shock on J.R. Smith, I don't feel it like yeah. – was. It, the only thing you can say about J.R. Smith is until this season – he hadn't really put it all together for about two or three seasons in a row. And definitely, I mean, the Knicks basically paid the Cavs to take him off their hands. Well, his maturity this year was no doubt. I mean, it just completely different, just night and day. I mean, we watched at the beginning of the season as the rest just hosed him night after night after. I mean, it was egregious. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I love that Boston game was really literally was like the straw that broke the camel's back because the refs even apologized after the Boston game because it was one of the worst end-of-game foul calls anyone's ever seen. Yeah, it was so bad, and he kept his mouth shut. He, he yeah. was a he was a good boy scout about it, the whole thing, and he just, you know, he he really I thought, uh, um, I thought he was really important to the team this year, and <laughs> and Absolutely. normally about a guy like Jr. You would say, oh yeah, because he's like that X factor type. You know, every team could use a guy like that, but. I think he was so consistent this year, which is really the antithesis on, on both of, who, sides of the ball. Yeah, and that's just the opposite of who he's been throughout his career. Right. I remember John Hollinger's scouting reports back in the late aughts, and they were always about pick this guy up on your fantasy team in January because he's total trash for the first three months of the season. And um, he, you know, I think he just he had a very different mindset this year. He's a embraced his role he's become more consistent here's the crazy thing about uh, jr smith i mean you, we talk about the indians and everything and and the kind of the Cavs effect on the end jr smith's been hanging out at indians games all year all oh yeah that's long, true and that's, been in cleveland been part of the city uh when hanging around with the team and i think that's a lot of why he got the contract that he did because the, the tide of public opinion turned against the Cavs a little bit of like, you know, pay JR his money because he's hanging out with all our boys. He's practically part of the team anyway. You know, you're not negotiating against yeah. anyone else. I, you know, I don't think the Cavs being on ever, his good behavior is, is part of what helped. I don't, you know? I don't think the Cavs were ever not going to bring JR back. I think it's just, you know, there's this whole, there's this whole song and dance now with clutch sports. And in the end, they're going to get some, Honestly, I don't know if if it, I know you're a conspiracy theorist, Nate. I'm sometimes I'm a selective conspiracy theorist. <laughs> but what if like Clutch and Griffin are meeting on the first day of July and just going, yeah, we're definitely getting this done. But let's make it seem real sticky because Clutch is getting a reputation for just making their players so dang rich. Yeah, you know. I mean, how good do they look? They got that monster deal for Tristan Thompson. They got this monster which, deal for which Jared. now seems like a bargain this year. <laughs> well, <laughs> when, it, when, uh, it seems like a great uh, deal. Yeah. When Ryan Anderson's getting $80 million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, TT, my goodness. Yeah. He but, is. I mean, let's talk a little bit about. I mean, I, I, I don't want to cut you off if you had more of a comment to make about Clutch. Uh, well. 
no, I just, I mean, it's just kind of a funny conspiracy that, you know, we, we, for months, we sort of read articles on Plain Dealer once a week about, you know, the negotiations and, you know, what's going on. And of course, LeBron's like, we got to get JR back. And he makes it seem like there's a little bit of added tension there. I, I don't know. I, I just think they've been through this now so many times with Rich Paul and Clutch. I don't think there was ever a doubt JR was coming back. And once again, I mean, by making the process look involved and whatever, Clutch comes out looking like they got their guy exactly what their guy wanted. Yeah. And it, I mean, and the Cavs, and the Cavs look good from a player team fan relations perspective, but they certainly don't look frugal or <laughs> they don't look like the Spurs or anything like that, signing no. guys for bargains or no. getting their own guys to agree to like, you know, taking less money. No one's taking a so, hometown discount to play for the Cavs. No. So, I mean, we have, we have ownership to thank for that. I mean, Dan Gilbert, yeah. thank, Thank whatever. If you like him, thank him. If you don't like him, thank his massive ego that <laughs> he's spending so much dang money on on these Cleveland teams. Yeah. Did absolutely. you see, by the way, that he renamed the Lake Erie Monsters to the Cleveland Monsters? Hey, good for him. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, though, because the Lake Erie Monsters is like actually a myth. Cleveland Monsters. <laughs> I think you're overthinking. <laughs> well, it's just interesting. I think he, he want, just wants to celebrate the city. He wants... He does. That's exactly right. So yeah. good for him. Glad and he's so what I was going to bring up was the fact that J.R. Smith just completes the five-man starting unit so perfectly. You complete me. <laughs> Shut up, Jerry. You had me at the pipe. <laughs> you had me at the pipe. So yeah, I mean, pipe. he is so much better as an offensive you know, guy to plug into into that offense than an Amon Shumpert. And I like Amon Shumpert coming off the bench. But J.R. Smith, when he's on the – what would you say? I said I don't. <laughs> well, I'm pretty done. That, that, let, let's, let's talk about Amon Shumpert in a little bit. But yeah. J.R. Smith, I mean, when he's on the floor with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving and LeBron James and Tristan Thompson, you can't double anybody. Because you double LeBron and they got three shooters out there that can score, and then you got Tristan diving to the rack, yep. and plus you've got plus you've got one body on Tristan usually in that situation, and he's got a high percentage of an offensive rebound. Yep. You got J.R. Smith that can create offense out of being able to rise up four feet behind the three point line and just bury a three at yep. any given time. If you lay off him even two steps, you're already burned. Yep. You know, you got Kyrie Irving, who is as good of a shooter at his age as anyone we've ever seen at the point guard spot. I mean, you got to remember that Steph Curry is two or three years older than Kyrie Irving, and he didn't. Kyrie's a Kyrie's a filthy offensive player. He is, and you know, Steph Curry didn't get to where he is until like a year or two ago, and Kyrie Irving's already there. Sorry, well, he's he's definitely. I mean, let's let's relax. He is Kyrie Irving does not is not the complete player stuff curious. No, but in terms of just you combine the offensive ball handling wizardry with the shooting um, percentage insanity with the shooting creativity. 
you know, like, like the, the, the types of shots he can get off. Oh yeah. But just all those crazy angles and he's probably, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think there's ever been a better, um, below the rim finisher. And I mean, when I say that, I just mean finishing without dunking, right? Because and, LeBron's and so many different LeBron angles. and Dr. J and yeah. Dominique are probably, and Michael Jordan are the greatest finishers of all time. But Kyrie Irving is the best below the rim finisher the NBA has ever seen. And I mean, I used to say that about like Tony Parker, but Kyrie does things that no one does. And he, and he doesn't even like, it's not like, some kind of weird once in a career highlight play. It's like no, stuff he does on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and still- combine that with the ability to shoot 90 plus percent from the line in one of the absolute clutch free throw shooters in the NBA history already in the fourth quarter in overtime. Uh, yeah. He's an absolute closer. And, you know, then you add Kevin Love who, he gets those rebounds and it puts so much pressure on the defense because he can throw that outlet pass at any given moment. Now, points. you know, you've got, you've got J.R. Smith and LeBron James run, James running streak patterns up the sideline. And, you know, we've seen as many outlets to J.R. as we have to LeBron. Uh, um, yeah. And then you've got, uh, and, and then you've got LeBron, the ultimate Swiss Army knife on defense, who can literally do anything and put so much pressure on a defense. And that five-man unit, I would put them I, – I, they're better than the Warriors, in my opinion, because Tristan Thompson is so much more of a threat with his offensive rebound, rebounding than, you know, Jaja Pachulia, you know, with that starting unit. I mean, if you swap out Jaja Pachulia for – um. Oh, what's his name? Um, <coughs> Andre Iguodala. You know, then you have a discussion. But, I mean, it's still... Those are two really potent offensive units. And the Cavs yeah. are right there. You know? Yeah, I, I don't know, Nate. I mean, the Warriors are pretty ridiculous. They won 73 games without Kevin Durant. And now they have Kevin Durant. So... Um, you know, I, I'd like to believe they're, you know, they're overrated or they're not going to be that great. I think they're properly rated. I just think the cat. Well, I, I see all these people. I've seen all these like predictions. They're going to win like 66 games or whatever. It's like, I mean, why aren't they going to win like 80 games? <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I'm not saying they will win 80. I'm just saying like Kevin Durant is way better than Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's an all-star. Kevin Durant is like a generational superstar. So, I mean, he, I, Steph Curry's had a better last two seasons, but, uh, before that, I mean, Durant, it was like LeBron Durant, one, two, or two, one, or however you wanted to do it. I, I don't know. I, 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 and, and, and more than just the sheer talent addition, um, his skill set kind of perfectly fits them. That's that's oh, to I me agree. the really I mean, swap him out for Harrison Barnes, and it's it's night and day. Oh, yeah, he's a way more dynamic player. He's bigger, he's longer, um, better defensive player when he wants to be than Barnes. A hundred times more confident. Oh yeah, and just uh, and not just a spot shooter. I mean, he's an uh, unguardable Larry Bird, Dirk Nowitzki like shooter from like any position on the court uh whether he's just an iso jab step or if he wants to go off the dribble so um so let's break this down okay so uh 
you've got LeBron and Durant. Yeah, I give that. I give the edge to LeBron there for sure. Okay. Then you've got not. I mean, a slight edge, but he's a much better all-around player than Durant because he's probably the greatest player of all time, and Durant's probably one of the top, you know, thirty players of all time. So. So then you've got Tristan Thompson and Zaza Pachulia. Well, I'd give the edge to Tristan. Fair comparison. There's the Zaza token starter. Yeah, I mean, he's going to play the Bogut role, you know, 20 minutes a night kind of thing, but okay. he's not going to be part of their death lineup, that's for sure. Okay. So then, But, got, yeah, no, I, I'd give that to Tristan. Then you got Draymond and Kevin Love. I mean, I give, I mean, as much as I hate him, I give that to Draymond based on yeah, the I last. I think it's going to be a wash this year. I think Kevin Love's going to be that good this year. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, there are reports now that he's put on weight and he's not, of course, dealing with rehab this yeah, offseason. His shot looks good in preseason. Well, and you got to think that mentally he can't possibly ever be better than he's going to be this year, no, right? Because he's, he's a little bit of a. He's playing uh, with house money. Head, he's a little bit of a head case. You know what I mean? A little bit. And, and that, I mean, what exists for the, I mean, he's got his massive contract. He's got his championship ring. He's got his alter ego. Thanks to Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson, he's finally got like the love of his teammates. He's got the love of the city. I mean, wh- uh, yeah, I, I totally buy the argument. I'm not much of a guy that gets into like intangibles, but I totally buy the argument that the mental intangibles have swung heavily in Kevin Love's favor. And so, um, so I'm gonna I could call definitely... that a wash. But are you gonna still give Draymond the edge? Yeah, because he's, I mean, just okay. all around, he's a, he's been a better player the last two or three seasons. Okay, so then you've got uh, Clay Thompson and J.R. Smith. Yeah, that's gonna go to Clay. It's gonna Clay, go to but, Clay, but it's not um, a complete domination. Or do you think it is? It's not a complete domination, but. No, I don't. Based on the finals, I don't. But over the regular season, I mean, Clay's going to be way more productive oh, than yeah, JR. But I'm not talking about the regular season. Yeah, no, in a one game winner take all, I mean, JR is dangerous. JR's a Yeah, I mean, I give the edge to Clay, but. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I give the edge to Clay. Clay's an all star. I mean, JR is a role player at this point in his career. That, that uh, one goes. High end play. role player. I'll give you that. A high-end role player. That one goes to Clay. Okay, and then you've got Kyrie Irving and Steph Curry. Okay, so here's the one that, you know, I, I'm in the minority of Cavs fans in that I've always been skeptical of Kyrie Irving's winning effect. I've always, you know, uh, been jaw-wide-opened, you know, eyes-wide-opened at what he can do and his skills, but... As any follower of Cavs the Blog knows, you know, I've been a Kyrie skeptic of sorts over the years. And I didn't see anything last year to make me feel like Kyrie had turned some kind of corner or was a better teammate or better court vision or better defense. I saw none of that. And then in the playoffs, um, I did start to see more effort on defense, uh, more kind of sort of clutch defensive plays from time to time. Good hands, a lot of steals on defense, good hands. He could, he could, he recovered very well on a bunch of plays where, you know, he kind of got out of position, whether it was just a nice play by the offensive player or whatever, and he was able to recover pretty well. And then, of course, offensively in the playoffs and particularly in the finals, 
I mean, he was probably the best offensive player in the finals all around. I don't think there's a probably about it. <laughs> yeah. So, so the question then is, so what's Kyrie? What is Kyrie? I mean, is he the guy that hit arguably, and I will argue this, the biggest shot in NBA history? Or is that just a part of him and it came at an opportune time and he's still the guy that gets stuck on flypaper screens and I think is, he's the guy that pwned Steph Curry in the finals. And that's why I'm giving this edge to Kyrie in in a head to head matchup. Well, I I can't in good faith give the edge to Kyrie over Steph in head to head matchup based on seven games when we have hundreds of games where Steph definitely has the edge over Kyrie. But I do believe he outplayed him in the finals. And um, I think... You are going to be an unpopular man tomorrow, Tom. Oh, I know. <laughs> and I mean, I'm already getting into it with people because everyone's like, oh, well, Delhi is practically an addition by subtraction, losing him because he was useless and Kyrie, Kyrie, Kyrie. And I'm like, look, how about you just stick with Kyrie hit the biggest shot in NBA history? You know, and how about you just stick with Kyrie outplayed Stephen Curry? Like, don't don't reinvent what Kyrie has been based on like one series, because that that kind of it's just not that's not what actually happened. I mean, I, I like history for a reason. Like, let's focus on the truth. So well, that will be the now. The, now here's the flip side to that. Well, maybe a lot of people that have always just thought Kyrie was God and. You know, any time he didn't play well, it must have been the injury or some other thing or another to explain it. And the fin- didn't matter that game. Right. And the right. And the finals and that big shot was like the real Kyrie that they all knew was, you know, going to be there all the time. Um, well, then if that's the case, then I don't know how much they believe he can improve. Whereas I feel like Kyrie has like a crap ton of flaws still that he can improve and could become <coughs> better than Stephen Curry. You know, I mean, he's he's got a better body, he's got a better handle, which is kind of insane. Because mm, I would got... say, I I think their handles are on par, and that isn't oh, to I denigrate think... Kyrie. That's how oh, I Steph's... think Kyrie has a better handle than pretty much anyone I've all ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Steph's, I mean, if if Kyrie's number one, then Steph's number two. Yeah, no, I I believe that, and I think Kyrie's number one, and um, I think I give the edge to Kyrie in. You know, scoring around the basket, I definitely give Steph the edge in perimeter shooting because he's the greatest shooter of all time statistically. Uh, I think you but you know, defensively, Curry, Curry has made huge strides the last couple of years, and he went oh, from he, being a total defensive liability to being somewhat effective at times. And a decent lead the league defender. in steals, or <coughs> yeah, a decent team defender and an opportunistic defender that gets a lot of steals. I saw a lot of that in Kyrie in the finals. A guy that, you know, isn't fundamentally a great defender, but man, he got his hands mitts on a lot of balls. His he, instincts got a lot better. His instincts looked a lot better, yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, he really had a very good feeling of when to when to pinch down on a guy, especially a big, and take the ball away from him, or when kind of a suspect ball handler was was coming at him, and that he could pressure yeah. the guy and get a steal. He had he had a real good. He had a real good feel for that, especially. He had a lot of he had a lot of steals in the finals. Yeah, so I mean, you're you're going to give the edge to Curry. I'm going to give the edge to Kyrie. Okay. So um, then we got the bench. So first off, off the bench, I think you got to give the edge to Andre Iguodala. 
Yes. Uh, one of yeah. the best six men in the league. Yep, would start on pretty much any, every other team. Right, exactly. And and is a starter-level player on that team. Uh, I will. So who would be the Cavs six man? Would it be um, Chan- Maybe Channing Frye, yeah. Or, or would it be uh, Amon Shumpert? Or, yeah, probably one of those two, or Richard Jefferson. I mean, at, by last season's end, I would have said, you know, Delhi or Richard Jefferson. But, um, you know, this year it'll probably be Fry. I, I bet it'll be Fry this year. I think I, be... I don't think they're going to push Kevin Love to play big minutes. And so I think Fry's going to get a lot of burn. Yeah, I think uh, Shumpert also. I mean, he'll play three positions. I think he's yeah. going to play a lot of point guard with LeBron. That'll be interesting to see. I've, I've heard that a lot. I have a tough time believing that just because he's such an abysmal ball handler. He's but, better ha- having lost some weight. His his handle looks a little better. He's making a little bit better decisions. But in uh, Chicago, I saw him make a great dribble play and then a pass in the first half. And then I saw him do the, I'm going to go one on three and just make a terrible decision in the second yeah, I, half. I think his decision making is suspect. His ball handling skills are suspect. I I just don't see it, but again, maybe I'm just focusing too much on last season. Well, he and has that's... played point guard before in the NBA. I mean, he has a season where he averaged over five assists a game as a point guard. Okay. So well, it's maybe. not as if he's never done it before. I, I think he can do it. The question is, are they going to go that direction? Are they going to go, you know, like Kay Felder get some burn? So... We'll see, but definitely got to give the edge at least on a six man uh, to to the Warriors. But uh, yep. overall, I think the Cavs are deeper. I mean, are they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a big fall off after. So you got your seventh man is probably Sean Livingston. Yeah, who's kind of been a stud against the Cavs. He has, but the Cavs kind of figured him out a little bit, and I, w- I would say Sean Livingston and Richard Jefferson and Mike Dunleavy and Channing Pry kind of, I yeah. think he's a wash with all those guys. Uh-huh. And you got David West. Who, oh, that's right. David West, yeah. But I don't know how much he has left. He he did not yeah, look he did not look finals. good in the playoffs last year for San Antonio. Then you've got uh, Andy, who looked terrible in Game 7. Yeah, he didn't look good in Game 7. No, and then there really isn't a lot there. I mean, you got Elliot Williams, you got Kevin Kavon Looney, you got Michael McAdoo. I mean, maybe one of those guys takes a leap, but that team just doesn't seem that deep this well, year. I don't think they're nearly as deep as they, they were last year. Your first five guys are all-stars. I mean, right. You don't need to be that deep. Right, but in a seven-game series, I think it matters. Um, yeah, and, and, well, I think, and it definitely matters if you sustain an injury or two. Right, know? exactly. And the regular season, I mean, people forget the kind of minutes that, you know, Barbosa gave him, that Maurice Spates gave him the last two years. Oh, buckets. Uh, you got Festus Azili gave him a lot of minutes the last he two did. years. I, you know, I always thought Festus Zilia was like a great player because every time I saw him, he was just throwing down dunks on people. <laughs> and boy, he killed the Warriors, in the, especially in yeah. Game 7. I mean, the Cavs were kind of on the ropes, and then LeBron scored six straight points basically because Festus Azili was dumb. Yeah, well, or, or they were just abusing Anderson Barajow in the pick and roll. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the 
the Warriors were running really dumb offense with Anderson Varejao, and the Cavs were just not even perceiving him as a threat. And well, Varejao looked like his energy was up, but I mean, a couple times he set screens like on the wrong side, and I don't know, he he didn't look real comfortable with the rest of the yeah. guys. I mean, this is a team. The Warriors: Javale McGee, Patrick McCaw, uh, Elliot Williams, Kevon Looney, Michael McAdoo. I mean, the they're definitely their depth is not where it was the last couple of years. Uh, Javale McGee, wow, huh? Javale McGee, yeah, Javale McGee. So, I mean, I I feel like the Cavs have the depth edge, especially at the wing. Yeah. So I, you know, I I I feel it's a wash. Even with, I mean, they've got a fantastic starting five, but the Cavs are a notch below them, and I think they're deep. You know, just maybe notch, and the Cavs have the best player. And well, that's the key, right? I, the Cavs aren't as good of a team as the Warriors. They weren't as good of a team as the Warriors last year. I think the Cavs but, are as good of a team as the Warriors, and I think they'll have a better record this year. Boom! I threw down the gauntlet. Right. I, I mean, yeah, I'll take you. I'll take that bet. Um, Will you? I do not. Okay, think what are we betting? Oh, what should we bet? So you're saying the Warriors are going to win more regular season games than no, the Cavs? the Cavs are going to win more yeah. regular season games. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. All right. Um, I don't know. you got to put a Republican bumper sticker on your car. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's a bridge too far. <laughs> That's a bridge too far. How about... Um, how about a how about a dinner? <laughs> I'll bet you a dinner. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Dinner okay. sounds good. Okay, so uh, so yeah, we have a stand. Donald bet. Trump have like a steakhouse or something like that. We guess. Yeah, whatever. Something. <laughs> a solid dinner, not soup. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Definitely. Sorry. So yeah, uh, I I think the the Cavs are right there. I think they're gonna have a really good. You know what? The last time you made a bold prediction, you were huh? right in Cleveland in the championship. Huh? I said the last time you made a bold prediction, you were right, and we won the championship. The, the last time I made a bold prediction, the Cavs won three straight. So yeah, exactly. And I had despaired. And yeah. you refuse to give up hope, Nate. And we have this all recorded, and it's on the internet, which is forever, at least until our SoundCloud account goes away. <laughs> so there we go. Um, <coughs> so that kind of uh, wraps up a little bit of, I mean, we got a little bit more to talk about, the the Cavs' backup point guard unit. Uh, Kay yeah. Felder. I don't know. The jury's still it's out so for me on hard. Kay Felder. It's so hard to say. I mean, especially... It's really hard when you're talking about, you know, preseason and summer league and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I distinctly remember Delhi was completely useless in um, summer league. And I remember having a podcast and talking with <laughs> you and I think Robert was on the po- maybe the last time Robert was on a podcast with us. And uh, you guys asked me, like, okay, so who's the odd man out? And I looked at the stats, and I remember what I saw, and I was like, uh, this guy, Deli, he's definitely the odd man out. And they kept him, and look what happened. So I, I just yeah. – it's so hard. I mean, I know McCray oh, totally. And Dion Waiters that year looking awesome in preseason. Yeah. Or in um, summer league. So is the thing that McCray is not a point guard, is that even though, like, when he wants to, he's really ball dominant? 
He's a combo guard. He he can get very tunnel vision with his shots. I mean, Orange Mamba is such a uh, apt nickname because he really can just start chucking the way that uh, the way that well, the you Mamba know, did. David Griffin was talking with Fred and AC, and he basically said, you know. Uh, McCray has been dominant in Canton and boy, he really lit things up in, uh, you know, in the, uh, preseason or in the summer league. And he's like, but it's a little weird because what we're asking him to do on the actual roster is to be like a, almost like a, you know, like a role player, like a three and D guy. So he was kind of acknowledging the conundrum with McCray. Yeah. No, that is the conundrum with McCray, and I, I think he can be a bench scorer. The problem is I don't know if the minutes are going to be there with the depth they have at wing, and the only right. place where there's real minutes is backup point guard. But I don't know if he's going to be that great there. So I think yeah. a lot of guys are going to get a shot at it early on. Um, Kay Felder, I will say one thing about Kay Felder. He's a really good setup man. Um, okay. And if you have a really good shooting big, he's an excellent at setting guys up in the, at the pick and pop. He does that thing where Delhi that Delhi used to do where he'd cross in front of the defender's man and kind of take, or I'm sorry, his bigs defender. And he would kind of take him out of that play and get him that extra half step of, uh, of separation on the pick and pop. And, uh, just, he sets guys up really well. He passes the ball as soon as a guy is open. Um, and it almost, sometimes you almost wish he would hold the ball for like an extra dribble and set up a guy even to be even more open, but he's really quick, uh, yeah. really good passer. He's kind of a pass first guy. Um, and sometimes he passes the guys he shouldn't pass to, uh, <laughs> when you see him play in preseason. But, um, so when, if he plays I mean, the with issue with guys, him, right, is that really well. the Sorry? issue with him is that he's small. So defensively, right. It's going to create some mismatches and he can't breathe. Right. That's well, like the other. I didn't think he get the hit threes, and then he was two or three the other night, and his outside jumpers looked the best I've seen it. So maybe he's really been working on that. It's hard to say. You know, it's another one of those things. He's a guy that probably has a bigger adjustment than anybody uh, coming into the league because, A, not only was he uh, playing in college, but he was playing in such a low-level conference that, you know, his numbers are really inflated. He's not going to be playing against these super elite athletes all the time in college. And yeah. they were talking about it against the Bulls. And he's he has to adjust his release points. He has to get used to playing against these really big players. Uh, you know, it's a big it's a big adjustment for him. So hopefully he can kind of figure that out. But I think from a offensively, from a speed and quickness and strength and uh, you know, court vision standpoint, he, he's got everything he needs. The okay. question will be, can he be a good enough defender, uh, in the half court? Because I think full court, he actually picks up really well and he can pressure the dribble pretty well, but good teams will scheme against him and force, you know, the Cavs won't be able to switch with him. Um, they'll have to play the pick and roll. He'll either have to go over or under, and we've seen him going under a lot. Um, because even when he goes over, he doesn't a lot of times have the length to challenge the, the shot. So on the pick and roll is where he's going to have kind of his biggest adjustments. And then also teams are going to post up against him, which like you were saying earlier, you're 
in the NBA anymore, if you can force a post up, it's almost a win, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, it feels that way. If, but as know. a bench guard, I don't think he's going to be too bad. I mean, and I was a lot more skeptical on him, but his speed is is NBA class. I mean, he's, he's well, got it, a Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. And, I mean, for, you know, he, much like Isaiah Thomas, right, he does mm-hmm. look a lot like him. Um, he didn't have any problems creating separation. So no. now the issue is, okay, what is he going to do with that separation? Is he going to make shots or is he going to find the open man? I mean, if you got a guard on the court that can't hit shots, that can become a liability. Oh, We've absolutely. seen that. Now, Rondo went from being kind of a stud guard to a liability, a huge liability, in my opinion, in just a short amount of time. Right. Well, and part of the uh, reason Boston was a, a able to get away with playing Rondo is they would put four shooters on the court with him, you know, because Kevin Garnett could step out and hit that 20 footer. And then they had Brandon Bass who could also hit a 20 footer. It it wasn't as if they, their floor spacing was so terrible, but you put him on a team where he doesn't have four shooters and like Chicago, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. So, now that being said, he shot two for three the other night against the Cavs. His jump shot looked good, maybe as good as I've seen it. So who knows? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know, but I mean, so well, yeah, it's the one Kate... source of it's the one source of uh, analysis, right? It's like what's going to happen with backup point guard. Everything else is kind of a known quantity. Yeah. No, and and I think McCray will get some run. I think. I, I think they're kind of kind of go by trial and error a little bit at first, and obviously, clearly, LeBron is the real backup point guard. Exactly. Um, but you know, they're gonna have to find minutes for. They're gonna have to develop these guys because you don't want to wear the starters out, and you don't want to play in every night. So yeah. So it'll it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I'm I'm excited as heck for the uh, for the Cavs season. So. Um, and then Me too, but next I'm... weekend we'll get a little NBA preview. I kind of want to go through the divisions a little bit next weekend. Uh, okay. Get a big uh, revelation this weekend. The Bucks traded Michael Carter Williams to the Bulls, which means our own Matthew Dellavedova is going to be a starting point guard for the Bucks, which is is well, going to be fun to watch because now people are saying Giannis is actually the starting point guard. But well, yeah, but Delhi's going to be on the floor. That's what I figure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a positionless NBA anyway. So. Right, right. <laughs> so he's definitely going to get uh, some burn. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for, uh, for the season coming up. And uh, we are only just a little bit over a week away. So it's, it's going to be crazy. Oh, the other thing we were going to touch on, uh, David Blatt got a championship ring and oh, accepted yeah. it. So. Good for David. I, mean, I, I I thought it was uh it was I thought he deserved a ring, especially since Dan Gilbert gave a ring to like every employee of the Q. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean David Bly had a lot to do with uh the growth of the team and um you know, they grew under him. I mean, say what you want about how it ended, but that team that won two games against the Warriors Mm-hmm. Uh, was pretty depleted, so they yeah. learned something about themselves there, and and I was glad to see the know, Cavs and, offer him. They offered Bergeau a ring. Bergeau said he wasn't going to take it. I think maybe after he retires, he'll take that ring. 
Yeah, I mean, with Verzal, it's a little different because he was on the opposing team. Yeah, and I get that, and I I actually respect him for not taking the ring, at least not now. So right, right. I mean, I I don't think I'd want to take that ring if I were on the losing end of of the Cavs. So right. uh, the biggest playoff collapse in NBA history. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny now that there's a there's a large subset of people that are like like upset that that's become like a joke meme. Like a lot of Cleveland fans, I feel like it, it like denigrates what the Cavs did. And I mean, I'm just sort of like lighten up, man. It's just part of I being a too. fan. I mean, part of being a fan is like ripping on other fans. Like it's not, Oh yeah. Trust me. There's no Cleveland fan right now thinking like, Oh, the Cavs didn't really win that. The Warriors choked. I mean, they're just giving Warriors fans and the Warriors a hard time, but, because that's fun, and that's yeah, what we've Yeah, I mean, been... and I always like to say, well, no, really, the Cavs overcame a 1-3 deficit. You know, the Warriors didn't blow it. The Cavs took it from them. But, yeah, but... That, that is not a fun meme. That's a very boring meme right. that no it's one would actually read. Exactly. So when my <laughs> so... car, my pumpkin, to say 3-1, I mean... <laughs> right, exactly. doesn't mean I don't appreciate what the Cavs did. Or I'm right, just, exactly. Because I'm just trying to stick it to the fans in the bay area yeah so uh any... I, I follow a whole bunch of like warriors fans and they act like they didn't even lose oh i, I mean know. they're That's... just like oh kevin duran and oh this team's so dominant and oh my gosh it's gonna be so fun watching it's like screw you you lost you i, I mean i know we were kind of giving coles a hard time for the way he was always you know ragging on that warriors fan that not a troll guy that was showing up on our <laughs> blog it's like you know what? They should have their noses rubbed in it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like one week after the finals, they're celebrating over signing Durant. Like, that was a little weak sauce, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And not only that, I mean, they you were sit insufferable in the throughout the think season. Think about what you have done and what your team <laughs> has done. They were insufferable for the entirety of 2015-2016. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just nonstop. It was well. I mean, the best the is how when the, it reached the best is how Cavs fans, right? With and and national media people would say things like, "Well, you know, the Cavs may have won the title in 2015 if two of their all stars had not been hurt." And of course, Warriors fans scoffed at that. You know, oh, if 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 you know. Yeah, and then they're complaining and then it's about like, Bogut. And then I got to sit here and listen to, oh, if only Andrew Bogut wouldn't have been hurt, let me get a break. Or if, oh, if only Steph Curry would have been a hundred percent. Like, then why is he trying to dunk on LeBron after the whistle? You know, I, and how does him, how's him being hurt have anything to do with him throwing behind the back passes out of bounds? Like, just right. admit the dude choked. You know, yeah, and exactly. then, um, and then, oh, if only Draymond had played. You know what? Draymond played in Game Seven. In fact, he had one of the probably the greatest Game Seven like in the history of the NBA, and the Cavs still won. So mm-hmm. use logic. What does that tell you about? Oh, if only the Draymond had been there for Game Five. Doesn't mean anything. The Cavs won by double digits. <laughs> Having Draymond Green there for that game literally means nothing, in my as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, suck it, Warriors. <laughs> oh. Was that your parting shot, Tom? That's my parting shot. Nate, I'm getting into woodworking, and <laughs> I dug up my well, which was like the worst thing I've ever done in my life. It ended up, I ended up digging like basically a couple graves. It's like eight foot by four feet deep by two feet wide, and it was not, it was clay. 
But I not, finally not found Clay the Thompson. source. Finally found the source of the leak, and I uh, called out a real plumber and got him to repair it. So now I got well water for my spigots. So I can save a couple dollars every year using well water instead of tap water on my lawn. And all I had to do is spend like 30 hours breaking my back doing it. So <laughs> totally worth it, right? Absolutely. Totally worth it. Absolutely. And and do you, do you still have the same gutters? <laughs> I do. I have not I have not uh, transitioned to gutter bot 3000. <laughs> uh, any, any, uh, any Rocket League going on? I heard there's a big expansion coming out. Um, yeah, Isn't so, it Underwater Rocket League is coming or no, something? No, it's just a map. It's not a new mode. It's just a map that takes place underwater. It's kind of cool looking. But, uh, yeah, Rocket League is alive and well. Um, the, the big change in Rocket League over the last, like, month or two is that they, uh, they added crates, which is similar <laughs> to, like, what a lot of these games do, where it's, like, another way to, like, nickel and dime people to death. Um, but it's working. I've already spent 10 bucks buying keys to open my locked crates. <laughs> and even though I've gotten crap for, you know, decals for cars I don't even own. uh, it's kind of addictive you you it's a it's a it's a it's a skinner box (laughs) yeah well uh, actually a lot of my friends now play this game overwatch which i'll play uh, with in a while but i'm just i'm still into rocket league uh yeah it's just another fps oh i wouldn't say that it it it, it's it's fun it's just kind of interesting fps yeah, I know. I just I don't have the patience for him. I'm I'm yeah. an old I'm a turn-based strategy guy. Oh, <laughs> I was that's the one genre I've never been into. Yeah, I I can't do the real time. Uh, I I my my hands get I get carpal pretty quick playing the the FPSs, so I can't really do it. You get carpal real quick playing the RTSs if you're any good at it. <laughs> Those guys go crazy. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I remember when Battlefield 1943 came out, and I played that a lot, and then literally I had to quit because it was, like, threatening my livelihood because I could barely type during the day, and it was like, I I felt like I had stump hands. Like, I just had these worthless lobster claws because I couldn't do anything because my wrist hurt so bad. So I was like, yeah, no no more Battlefield 1943. Oh, man. Anyway, this podcast is starting to get a little uh, long in the tooth, Tom. How have we not talked about Andrew Miller or Corey Kluber? Because it's Cavs the podcast. Cavs the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Although I will say, um, Andrew Miller, we did talk about Corey Kluber a little bit. Yeah, Andrew Miller is filthy. The reincarnation of Randy Johnson as a middle reliever. Yeah. With the Only most unhittable even... sli- when his slider is on, it's the most unhittable thing I've ever seen. Yeah, because it looks like the fastball to the hitters. Well, the other thing is, I've never seen a guy that so consistently, he never throws a ball above the waist, ever. Oh, yeah, he keeps it down, yeah, <laughs> I mean, for sure, the, he keeps it there's down. never a ball that goes above the waist, I yeah. mean, and guys still can't hit it, you know. Uh, no one is hitting that slider. That no, is that, that slider's ridiculous. Well, or, or Corey Kluber's cut fastball, either. I mean, that, that cut fastball, he gets it moving. yeah. That thing is ridiculous, too. Kluber is ridiculous. What has he got? 13 and a half innings of scoreless pitching against two of the best lineups in baseball? Yeah. And the and, Blue Jays, and, 
came into that series so like white hot. That's the other thing. I mean, they just lit up the Orioles and then the Rangers, and you know, suddenly they can't score. Yeah, so and and let's to... talk about how good this Tribe bullpen is all the way around. I mean, they bring in guys for like, like one it just batter. never ends. Yeah, yeah, Brian yeah. Shaw. Um, Cody Allen's been good. I mean, he was real shaky in that game three against Boston, but he got it done, and he looked completely dominant in the game I was at. I mean, he just was mowing them down. And then, you know, yesterday's game ended, I guess, with a little bit of a loud out. Um, but still, I mean, he made quick work of those guys. Well, and then you got Otero is solid and McAllister's solid. I mean, it's just it, it, they're a really good team. Is there a fun Yeah, team? it's going to be fun to watch. So anyway, uh, as always, go Cavs and go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Tribe. Go Cavs. <laughs> and, uh, we'll Sorry, you got to deal week. with the Browns. <laughs> yeah, okay. we got two more moments to do. Uh, we do, we do. Um, and you can probably guess what they are, but... Uh, yeah, I think everyone can no, guess what No, we have three. They're... We have three more moments. So, the shot, the block, and the buzzer. So, so stick with us at Cavs the Blog and get pumped up for the season. It's going to be a fun season. We're going to get gonna back into season. the We're about, uh, swing of things. Eight days away. Looking forward to doing Instacaps again. <laughs> I'm looking but forward I've to changed, watching Instacaps again. I've changed again. my man cave, so i got to like deck it all out again. Well, there you go. You're going to have to Instacap the opener. Yes, I know. Okay. Well, I think we're going to call it a night, Cavs fans. <laughs> go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2 